It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Hello there and welcome to Make the Dough Rise. Walter Sorholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond. Find us online, listen to past episodes at livingworth.com or on your favorite podcasting app. Do not adjust your speakers or headphones. You are hearing things appropriately. I just sound very sick and under the weather on today's show. But Brian, I actually feel great. My voice is just a little bit shot. So you're going to have to carry things for us today. How's that sound? Well, yeah, I'm kind of missing that smooth bass tone of your voice, Walter. I, I can definitely tell something's up. It's so uh, funny because yeah. some some days, Brian, it does sound silky smooth. Even when sick, it actually you know lowers it to uh, an even lower register sometimes. It sounds really good, but today is not one of those days, unfortunately. No, I get a lot of positive <laughs> comments. People are always ask me, hey, who's that... Uh, you know, sultry sounding guy that you've got on the uh, podcast with you. If only the looks matched the voice, Brian, <laughs> if only that were Dare the case. <laughs> well, we've got a really fun show on tap today. Don't let my voice bother you. Uh, it sounds, I might sound like death and that's inspired us to talk about the death of the stretch IRA on today's show, Brian. One that by taking a sneak peek at your notes for today's show is ripe with possible conspiracy theories. So I'm kind of excited about today's show, even though I know that you're not that excited that this has all come to fruition pretty quickly. If folks remember from a previous show, we talked about this thing called the SECURE Act and what it might do to the stretch IRA, among other provisions that are in that act. And we were talking about it in the case of, well, maybe in the next year or two or three, this thing might come you know, to pass. Well, right before the end of 2019, boom, it passed and became law on January 1st, 2020. So here we are, Brian, this thing that we thought might take a while to occur is in place. Yeah, that was a great transition with the uh, the death uh, wordplay there too. So well done. Yeah, I was hoping this would be a conversation that wouldn't take place for maybe years. If you go back to one of our original podcasts, this was a piece of proposed legislation that had sailed through the House almost unanimously. And that's what caused it to get my attention was the fact that it was getting such strong bipartisan support. I think the original vote in the House was 417 to 3, which, you know, we know how well they get along in there. So, the fact that something passed so overwhelmingly uh, made me dig in. And what I found out was, you know, they were basically undoing one of the longstanding provisions in retirement accounts that would allow us to stretch or allow your beneficiaries to stretch over their lifetime their inherited IRA distributions. So this SECURE Act came in and this was the ultimate Trojan horse. Man, they marketed this beautifully. SECURE is an acronym for setting every community up for retirement enhancement. So who could possibly be against that, right? It's got a fancy name to it and one that sounds very, very positive, of course. Yeah, it, and, and I'm all for that. And the carrot or the advantage that you would get was you got to wait an extra 18 months or until age 72 to begin taking required minimum distributions from your IRA. So on the surface, everybody's like, oh, okay, we'll get uh, Social Security shored up and I'll get extra time before I have to taking before I have to start taking IRA distributions 
and uh, it looks like a good thing. And in reality, most people don't really know and understand how the stretch IRA works. So it didn't hit anybody's radar as a major problem. And one interesting fact, Walter, I, I, I would argue that the waiting until age 72 to take your distributions is not necessarily a good thing. Most people think that delaying and only taking the minimum distribution is, is fine. But when this act was designed, it was designed under the requirement that for 10 years, it had to be revenue neutral for government tax income. So they did the math. They figured out, hey, we'll give you an extra year and a half. But if you wait an extra year and a half, now it's likely that your account has grown or certainly will over the coming decade. And that larger account balance combined with a shorter life expectancy means a higher distribution. Higher distributions mean higher taxes. Higher tax brackets mean potentially higher social security taxability, potentially higher Medicare supplement premiums. All of these things compound to actually create a much bigger problem than most people realize, and that's not even getting into the stretch IRA. So anybody that got excited about this delay and the uh, provisions of the SECURE Act being advantageous in the short term, pretty short-lived when I scratched beneath the surface. And then in reality, and we'll talk about this, those that are going to inherit your IRA uh, could be in a world of hurt. That leads me to my conspiracy theory. You know, so if you're into the grassy knoll, aliens, I don't know, maybe you're looking for Bigfoot, if that's your thing, what's happening right now that would kind of drown out uh, what should be a pretty big headline item? Well, all we hear about, all that's getting reported on is the impeachment issue, inquiry, trial, whatever stage of it we're in today. And then, you know, if if you apply the classic 80-20 rule, 20% of the issues get 80% of the attention, that's what's happening with the impeachment. And so then the other 20% of attention may, you may have heard about the China trade deal. You may have heard about the USMCA trade deal going through. Uh, You may have have heard about good economic news and low unemployment. Maybe you heard about what the Federal Reserve is doing. And then overwhelmingly, I I would say 80% of the people I talk to have not even heard of the SECURE Act, and they certainly don't know about the stretch provision. So that's my conspiracy theory. Kind of buried under a lot of things. I mean, it would it would be the kind of thing, just because it's hard to understand in a 15-second soundbite, it would be the kind of thing that would get maybe buried anyway. But then you throw in an election year and impeachment processes on top of it all. And yeah, it's just kind of hiding back there, which opens the door for maybe some of these conspiracy conversations. I, I like where your head's at with that, just in terms of making it a fun conversation, if nothing else. Yeah, I, it's, it's hard to say whether that's a um, high level orchestrated plan thing or if it's coincidence. But it, it's really it really is shocking to me how little attention the SECURE Act is getting, uh, especially with the provision for the elimination of the stretch. I could certainly start to get that way, maybe not from its inception being related to some sort of conspiracy theory, but the way it did kind of just slip right through at the end of the year with everything that's also going on certainly meant that it just kind of, you know, passed without any additional fervor or commentary. 
Yeah, there there was some opposition for a while. It looked like this, the elimination of the stretch was going to be off the table because a few people really dug in. Some people from within the industry spoke up and you know, the Senate had a version, the House had a version, and it looked like maybe the stretch elimination issue was being taken out. But man, at the last minute, it, it got put in, passed uh, overwhelmingly. The The vote, the final vote wasn't as unanimous as the, the original vote uh, in the House, but it was overwhelmingly in favor of this. The House signed off on it. The Senate signed off on it. The White House has signed off on it. This is law in 2020. So where do we go from here with this now being the law of the land? What has it really changed from the everyday perspective of the investor and and how people should approach retirement planning now that this major piece, especially for those who were in the neighborhood of, you know, wondering about the next generation and thinking about legacy planning from a financial standpoint, what is the new direction to think about? Well, good news, bad news. I mean, the good news is, is what we all knew Social Security was in trouble. Okay, last year, we actually crossed the threshold of we had less money coming in from FICA taxes than we had going out for Social Security benefit payments. We're starting to eat into the Social Security trust fund. And so by 2030 to 2035, it's projected that we'll run out of the trust fund and run out of income from you know, working people, because we'll have so many benefits being paid out for the increasing number of retirees that we, we could be facing a 25% cut in Social Security benefits. In other words, a 75% payout at today's levels. Well, this largely fixes that. There's going to be enough future revenue, but they're going to get that future revenue from your IRA. Now, if I roll the tapes back a little bit and go back to the 70s when IRAs and 401ks and all that were were being invented and, and created, we were making a major transition from pensions, which were the employer's responsibility, to 401ks and IRAs, which became the employee's responsibilities. Now, the idea was that you would put money in at a higher tax bracket, draw it out in the future at a lower tax bracket in retirement. And they recognized at the time that this was not meant to be a way to avoid taxation on income forever. So they actually had begun to put required minimum distribution rules in place. They said, well, we'll let you put this money in here. We'll let you get the tax deduction today. But at some point, you're going to have to take it out. Well, they there was so little money in there at the time, they never really came up with efficient distribution rules. But by 1987, they recognized the problem And they said, hey, we've got to fix this. We've got all these different claiming strategies and distribution strategies. When you pick one, you're locked in. Uh, It was an absolute disaster. And again, that was in 1987. And so in their swiftness and efficiency in dealing with problems, by 2003, they implemented the new IRA distribution rules. Only took them 16 years to fix the problem back then. Not, not too long. That's pretty good for government work, right? Yeah, yeah. It, and so we're seeing the same thing. We're seeing a, a delayed and lagged reaction. And so now it's going to take a drastic step to fix things. But what we got in 2003 was the current state of the stretch IRA, as well as a 50% penalty for doing the IRA distribution incorrectly. So it's in other words, if you had to take $10,000 out of your IRA and you forgot to do it, you neglected to do it, you still had to go back and do it. You still had to pay the tax on it, 
and you gave up 50% of the distribution as a penalty. So if you had a 25% tax bracket and a 50% penalty, this was a great way to give up 75% of your IRA was to do the distributions wrong. So anyway, that, that made IRA distribution errors enforceable and penalized and it streamlined. The, the IRS was not doing this for your simplicity and benefit. They did it for theirs. Well, we knew uh, as early as the 2000s, there was some research done, uh, real academic research done that looked at contributing to retirement plans and what that did to lifetime taxes. And it turns out we, we actually knew back in, in the early 2000s that contributing to 401ks, and again, like I said earlier, just drawing that out at a lower tax bracket in retirement, that math works. But what doesn't work is where that intersects with social security, pensions, dividends, how much of your social security is taxable. All of those things can spring traps on us in retirement that if you aren't planning and looking ahead correctly, can end up costing you. So the bottom line, Walter, I mean, we love the tax deductions today, but the reality is we're probably putting uh, people who are saving aggressively and, and have you know, higher net worths and portfolios and other income options. I, I'm finding that a lot of people are having too much in IRAs, and especially now with the elimination of the stretch and knowing that these rules can change at any time, it, it's making me question more aggressively how much should be put into IRAs. I think it's one of those things, too, with the rules changing. That's got to become one of the top worries for retirees these days. Just the fact that you build your and, and maybe for financial planners as well, Brian, because you, you put all of your effort into building a plan around, you know, one set of rules. But you also have to leave it flexible enough to adjust to when things like this come down the pike. And, uh, you know, hopefully you have enough time to plan for them and there's alternatives that you can move into. But I think that that has to cause some frustration and maybe even some fear for some folks. Now, are you just seeing anecdotally that people are putting too much into IRAs? Is there evidence based behind that claim as well? Well, okay. Yeah. So I'm dealing obviously with a segment of the population that has contributed heavily to their 401ks and IRAs. They have other savings. Overwhelmingly, most people are underfunded in retirement accounts and whether they had access to them or the ability to contribute. The, the average balance in an in a IRA in 401k for the average American is about 100,000. But at the same time, we have crossed the threshold where there's 200,000, maybe a quarter million people. And this was a fidelity study. There are that many people out there with over a million dollars in 401k and IRA assets. So it's kind of a bipolar type thing the the people who are contributing and have been doing for their whole life consistently, that, that's, that's who I'm talking to. So if you're in a situation where you only have a few hundred thousand dollars in retirement accounts or IRAs, then I would argue that you should be contributing more. But if you're at the point where you're, you're on track or you have over a half a million dollars in retirement accounts, seriously start looking at at other options. <laughs> I, I noticed you stopped short of saying you should be doing less. <laughs> but, right, but, right. But think about doing something different is the takeaway. Well, it's, it's diversification, Walter. I, just like you diversify your portfolio for different stocks, different sectors, different markets, and different styles of, of securities, you should do the same thing with your tax exposure. 
Overwhelmingly, people put the majority of their assets into retirement accounts first, brokerage accounts second, and then because of the limitations to get money into tax-free accounts like Roths, that, that's where I see the least money. So you really have to work hard to get more money into these, these different categories. But if you have diversified your tax exposure and you have money in all of these different categories, then when the time comes and you need to take a distribution or you need a lump sum for a, a down payment or a large purchase, or if you want to move into a, an assisted living facility, you have places that you can get the money without incurring a big tax. So if you're following my diversification approach to tax exposure, then you're going to have proactively done this over a number of years and be in a good position when the time comes. But if you look at the, the historical data on who actually takes IRA withdrawals, I saw a chart and uh, from about age 60 to age 70 and a half, and that this was a, would have been about a 10-year-ago time frame, but I'm, I'm sure the math is the same. From 60 to 65, only 20 to 25% of people are taking IRA distributions. Well, that makes sense. Maybe they're still working. They haven't retired yet. But from 65 to 70 and a half, that number only increases to about 30 to 35%. So you've got all these people that are retired. They've put money into their 401ks and IRAs. And now when they're retired they're waiting until 70 and a half to actually start taking distributions. That's when they're required or mandated to take them. So I'm, I'm, re I'm really looking at this chart and I'm like, why, why would people not have a better distribution plan than the one that the government has designed for them? And that, that's what it tells me is people are putting money into these accounts. They don't have a sophisticated or tax smart distribution plan they're defaulting to the government's plan. And I guarantee you that's costing people more in taxes. It's interesting to look at that data and uh, and the graph as well just kind of drives the point home. Very little usage until they're forced to use it, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, which causes me to question why, why were you doing it right. in the first place? Right. Yeah. If you're not utilizing yeah. something until somebody else is making you do it, then what is it? What is its purpose? What is it really serving you? Uh, and, and again, to the point that higher distribution, now you've waited and now you've got a bigger distribution. So you're going to have bigger taxes and bigger issues with uh, Medicare supplements and taxation of your dividends and taxation of your stock dividends and things like that. Well, I really like what you said about not only are we diversifying the things that are in our portfolio from, you know, an investment exposure, from a risk exposure standpoint, but diversification really is such a large, broad term that you're diversifying kind of how you get taxed in different ways and that that's a really important piece of this conversation. So yeah, that's really when, when you need it, it will give you some control, an yeah. element of control that if you rely just on one tax category, uh, you, you could lose control of the situation very quickly. So where to for folks who are in this situation where they're using this benefit, this plan, this, uh, you know, IRA or 401k, that's not a very efficient means for them to possibly be saving for retirement, or it's this tool that's not working for them, uh, as well as others could, what are the other options and different directions people can go? Well, let, let me give you a example. Uh, and I think this will illustrate how all income streams are not created equal. 
you know, most people think, well, if I earned $100,000, or let me use $105,000 in this example. If I have $105,000 of income, it doesn't really matter where the income comes from. That just hits my tax form and what, it's all taxed the same, right, Walter? Seems like that on the surface, but I know I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was a loaded question. It was. So, for example, if you had $105,000 of income that came from preferential stock dividends, municipal bonds, capital gains, and Roth IRA distributions, your tax, and, and this is under current law, this could all change, you know, just like the SECURE Act changed uh, IRA distribution rules quickly. But today, you could realize all of that income essentially tax-free. And that's just the way the rules are written. Really? If you had $105,000, so, so that was my 105000 Walter, your $105,000. Hey, why can't we flip this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you will want to flip this after I get done explaining this. If you had social security, a pension, and a regular IRA distribution, you're looking at maybe an eight to $10,000 tax difference between those two scenarios if you're just taking the standard deduction. That's that's not an insignificant amount. It's not an insignificant amount. If, if you had an extra eight to ten thousand dollars a year, could you find anything that you would like to do besides pay tax on it? We're talking about international trips. We're talking about uh, the opportunity to fund portions of grandchildren college educations, or you know, just saving it as extra to pass on to you know a family member later on. I mean, there's just so many things that a retiree, I'm sure, would love to do with you know that extra. Yeah, or income. if you're my wife, there's jewelry. Don't forget about that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, huge difference. And now, so I'm going to give you two uh, case studies that I had. And one was a client who had retired early, activated Social Security, and only had Social Security income. He was delaying taking required distributions, but uh, that was going to be coming down the road. But he was in this peculiar but pleasant situation where he was actually not being taxed on his Social Security benefit because that was the only income that was was really there to hit the, the 1040 form. And this was going to be a temporary thing, but it was the case for a couple of years. Well, he had stock in a company that was, they were, they'd done well over the years. He'd had the position forever. It was, it was highly appreciated stock, but the company was running into some trouble. So they wanted, we wanted to sell the stock that incurred some capital gains. And that little bit of capital gains that we generated, well, maybe it wasn't a little bit, but it was, you know, maybe ten, twenty thousand $20,000 of capital gains. So realizing this capital gain caused, if you go over $32,000 of income, half of your social security is taxed. And if you go over $44,000 of income, 85% of your social security is taxed. So even though the capital gains were not taxed, all of a sudden half of his social security benefit became taxable and it amounted to uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of taxes. So you think you're going to do this maneuver that's going to be tax-free, realizing capital gains at, at the, a certain income tax bracket. And it turns out, oh, whoops, that triggered the taxation of your social security benefit. And now that costs you thousands of dollars. Can't always avoid it. Uh, obviously, the you know, getting out of this company and selling the stock before it went down, which it did, turned out to be the right thing to do. So you can't absolutely let the tax tail wag the dog. But if you're not mindful of it, these things can creep up and, and, and catch you. 
lot to think about. So many uh, other examples, I'm sure, bubble up to the top of your mind as you kind of, you know, follow this thread through your different clients that you've met with and other stories, you know, probably that you've seen from across the country. A lot of people are impacted by how you withdraw your money from where it's being withdrawn. I'm sure that's just one small example with the Social Security side of things. Well, let, let me give you another example now. For, so if, if you've got half a million or a million dollars in a 401k IRA combination, maybe you and a spouse, it, it's not that inconceivable to hit that, that number anymore. Think about your children. Think about your non-spouse beneficiaries. A 50-year-old who inherits an IRA, well, last year, would have 35 years to stretch out the distribution of a million dollar IRA. So on a million dollars, his a 50-year-old's first distribution would have been about $28,500. Well, if they're making 80 or $100,000 or you know who, who knows maybe more, it's going to be taxed, but it's not going to be something that drastically kicks them into a higher tax bracket. It's not going to be something that's going to, you know, really penalize them. They can, they can just slowly stretch this out and maybe over a number of working years when they're in high income years, they have to take these distributions, but then maybe they retire and they have some low income years. That, that 35 year period really gives you, a, again, again, some diversification of tax brackets. Now, with the SECURE Act, and this is the, the whole point of this podcast, the stretch provisions have been reduced down to 10 years. So from 35 to 10, well, what, what's the math difference on that? Ooh, I can do well, that the, one. <laughs> the the $28,000 distribution now goes up and becomes a $100,000 distribution. Well, if you're in your peak earning years and maybe the kids are off to college and you don't have the deductions, maybe the mortgage is getting close to paid off, you don't have the mortgage interest deductions, all of that income now comes in and could push you into higher income tax categories. You could have to pay the uh, Medicare surcharge taxes. You could have higher rates on your capital gains and preferential dividends. But this is a disaster. So if you go back and look at the 10-year income neutral provision that they had for designing the SECURE Act, they figured out that over the course of ten, the first 10 years, this does not negatively impact government revenues, not your revenues, but government revenues. So they did the math on 10 years and said, okay, we can throw them this bone and in 10 years, we won't get any less money. But this is the rub. 10 years out, 15 years out, as people you know, pass and leave money to non-spouse beneficiaries, all of this money is going to hit and, and I remember I said earlier that about a decade, 10 to 15 years out, the Social Security Trust Fund is set to run out of money. All of this is going to start kicking in and hitting hard when they most need the money. But the catch is, is you're going to pay it with your IRA if you don't take steps today to do something about it. Wow. Some amazing differences when you look at that particular scenario of being able to stretch something out over the course of 35 years versus 10 years in all the cascading effects that that would have on on somebody's life. And just, you know, just the attention that it would then require to manage that process for that person, too. You can see it's kind of a, you know, this bill that's been passed can be life changing for somebody. 
Well, everybody likes to talk about 3D chess all of a sudden. Lately, I've been hearing a lot about 3D chess. 3D well, chess this is yes. 3D chess with your <laughs> IRA. And the problem is, is what you actually do here. Because if you have you know, multiple children or beneficiaries, and maybe a couple of them are doing well and one of them has lower income, there's really some advantages to figuring out which assets you leave to different people based on their income levels. And I've, I've got a funny story. It's not funny. It's, it's kind of a tragic story. It was uh, three nephews that were inheriting $40 million from an uncle. Now, what, if you were going to get a third of $40 million, Walter, would you have any objections or any problem receiving that amount of money? No, I don't care what the taxes are on it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll deal, I'll deal with the consequences. <laughs> well, in, in this case... 90% of the money was in regular brokerage accounts and maybe 10% of it was in uh, retirement accounts, maybe, maybe even less than that. But let's, for the sake of example, say that there was a million dollars in retirement accounts and $39 million in brokerage accounts. Okay. Two of the nephews were doing quite well. They had high incomes, high net worth. They, they had very successful careers, again, in peak earning years. Their brother was, you know, he hadn't had quite such good luck. He hadn't maybe uh, achieved his full potential. And so his income bracket was a lot lower. And I sat these three down and I said, hey, I, I said, this is a relative to $40 million. This is kind of a smaller point. But if you leave this uh, million, if you disclaim this million dollars and let it pass to your brother, but then take that same dollar amount from the other assets to increase your share. So everybody would still get the same dollar amount. Did you follow what I'm talking about here? Right. So the two brothers would, would not take the retirement funds and just take the brokerage fund? Yeah. And let that all pass to the, the brother that did right. not have as high income. I said, you could, you know, then that brother can then take all the distributions from that IRA over his lifetime at a much lower tax bracket. You know what they said? What's that? Don't care. I want everything that's mine. So you get into a disagreement over tax smart versus fair. Hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because you want to be mindful of creating conflict or problems, especially between siblings, if you're naming them as beneficiaries or, or part of your will. And if your objective is to be fair, I have seen crazy fights start over inheritance, money, fairness, uh, somebody thinking that somebody has more control or is orchestrating an unfair distribution. So in this example, even though I had a tax smart idea for them, they didn't care. They wanted equal dollar amounts. They, they wanted no part of my fancy strategy. So if you wait until death. And as these assets pass, uh, I'm going to argue you ought to go back to, you know, just being fair and equal. The things that you can do between now and then, take earlier distributions from your retirement accounts, do Roth conversions, name charities as your beneficiary for your charitable giving, if that's going to be something that you want to do. And you can name a charity as a partial beneficiary on your retirement accounts. So, if you've got a charity named in your will to receive a certain amount of money, you'd be better off 
directing funds from your IRA to the charity. You can use required minimum distributions to fund your charitable giving. That seems to be, have been preserved in this current round of, of laws. So ultimately, if you, if you want to take some time to proactively calculate what your IRA is going to be worth, what your distributions are going to be under these new laws, what your beneficiary situation is, these are all things I would highly recommend taking a look at now. Take some proactive steps to, to fix things as best as possible. And we'll just brace ourselves for the next next change that's coming down the bike. <laughs> Be adaptable for the next curveball they throw us, certainly. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, Brian, can you give us a peek at what some of those solutions might look like from person to person, realizing that we can't give specific advice until you know somebody's situation, but just what might some of those solutions appear to be? Well, okay, I'm going to go back to my conspiracy theories, Walter. Okay. And this is conspiracy really theory number conspiracy, two of conspiracy, right? <laughs> uh, one of the provisions that was added to the Secure Act was an increase options for lifetime income. What is lifetime income? A wordsmithed description of. And you're talking about the A word, right? Annuities. <laughs> yes. Given that the Secure Act now allows for additional annuity options, lifetime income options. And this is actually one way to level out your distributions or get a lifetime distribution is to purchase in your retirement account an annuity. What does that tell you about which lobby group was heavily involved in the drafting of the SECURE Act? Must have been a lot of influence from the insurance companies, right? Might it have been the insurance companies, Yeah, right? So, you know, that's that's politics. That's the way the, the system works. But uh, if you're not interested in annuitizing or buying a lifetime income option, and again, they're not categorically bad. They're not categorically good. Uh, you may want to do it with a portion of your account, but I would not just jump on the annuity option that has been provided under the SECURE Act. Were, were uh, annuities it, available at all in those accounts until now, or has, were they available? It's just now been expanded availability. They, they're always available. Like if you rolled over to a, a self-directed IRA, you could buy annuities. In 401k plans, 403bs, 457s, all, all the employer-sponsored plans, annuities were not an option. You were, you were limited to the fund menu that the plan provided. And that did not include annuities. There's a lot of record-keeping reasons for that, but uh, basically they've added it so that annuities can increasingly be an option in the employer-sponsored plan. But if if you're rolling it to an IRA, which that's a whole separate podcast on why you should do that, but um, an IRA is going to be a superior place to be besides the limited confines of a 401k. So you've got thousands of, of, of annuity options uh, in a self-directed IRA. But you just want to make sure you know what you're doing. Don't implement a, p- a program like that with an annuity salesman because then 100% of the recommendation will be for an annuity. Make sure you're do- going with somebody that has a, an objective and more impartial implementation approach than a specific product because uh, overwhelmingly, if, if, if people sell whole life insurance, I've seen people with multiple whole life insurance policies because every time they went back to the insurance agent, 
and had additional money to deploy, magically a whole life policy was the recommendation. The, the, the remedy kept being the same over and over. Yeah. Well, and, and that's true of asset managers. It's true of annuity. If, if people only have one product to sell, it's like uh, every problem to the man with a hammer looks like a nail and uh, that's what you're going to get. It's, so it's, it's like donuts also, Brian, just because somebody brought them into the office doesn't mean you have to eat them. So just exactly, because there's yeah. more access to, you know, annuities or it could be any financial product, essentially, doesn't mean you have to utilize it. Certainly. Certainly. Okay. Yeah. So that that's one way of, of leveling things out. Uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, you can do charitable giving, send your required minimum distributions to the charity of your choice up to $100,000 and that income will never hit your uh, tax form. So that is a good way to keep you out of those higher tax brackets causing uh, capital gains, preferential dividends to be taxed at higher rates, causing Medicare supplement premiums to go up. Uh, It's just one way of keeping uh, money off of your 1040. And you can name a charity as the beneficiary for a portion of your IRA. So you don't have to leave it all to kids. Let the kids get the brokerage money. Let the kids get the Roth. Let the kids get the insurance benefits. All of those are tax advantageous, step up in cost basis, et cetera, et cetera. But use your IRA to fund any charitable giving that you want. Now, of course, with uh, distributions not starting until 72, I used to talk about pre-70 and a half distributions. So now it's pre-age 72 distributions. Well, if you've retired in your early 60s, mid 60s, you now have, you know, five to seven years where you don't have to take IRA distributions. But if you delay your social security claiming, uh, if you can have control over doing some Roth conversions, uh, maybe a small amount each year for a number of years, you may have 10 or 20 or $30,000 worth of Roth conversions you could do each year so that over the course of uh, you know, five to seven years, you've got 100, 150,000 and all the future growth that can go into a Roth. Lots of good options for folks to consider then. So uh, despite the conspiracy theories working against us, Brian, uh, it sounds like that not all hope is lost in this situation. Yeah, I don't think there will be any alien abductions of your 401k or IRA just yet. But uh, the abduction that's coming, uh, we know where it's coming from. So just be mindful of it. Really good breakdown of the SECURE Act now that it's in place, and in particular, its impact on the stretch IRA. It is no more, as we have detailed out for you on today's show, some of the consequences of that, but also some of the solutions that you can move forward with, at least scratching the surface on some of those things. As always, if you're in a situation where you need some help, you need some assistance putting together a retirement plan or analyzing your current financial situation, to see if you can better that plan, better that situation, how you'll handle the loss of the stretch IRA in your arsenal and in your tool belt. We always encourage you to reach out to Brian Doe and ask your questions. You can do that by calling 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. We're also online. If you go to makethedoughrise.com, that's makethedoughrise.com. You can listen to past episodes of the show. You can also read more about Brian's teachings and philosophies when it comes to financial planning and investing by reading the book. You can find it at retirementrescue.net. That's 
That's retirementrescue.net. And in all those places, if you look in the description of the show today, you can find a link to where you can schedule a 15-minute call with Brian from your computer or smartphone. So definitely tap into those different resources on both makethedoughrise.com or retirementrescue.net, your other place to go. Well, Brian, really appreciate the breakdown on everything today. And thanks for putting up with uh, not only the death of the the stretch IRA, but the death (laughs) of my voice as well. But we'll be back in good shape for our next show. Sounds good. Let me just uh, point out one other option that I think we're going to have available here soon is we have created an online course that's going to take the material from the book, uh, Diffuse, Seven Tips to Diffusing the Coming Tax Time Bomb. And we're going to put that in an online course. So if if reading this and uh, hearing about it isn't enough and you'd prefer a more uh, interactive experience, we'll have that resource uh, soon. Very cool. Just use all of those methods we talked about to get in touch with Brian to inquire about the online course or just keep an ear out for when that is uh, fully rolled out and available. But very neat, an additional resource for people to tap into. For Brian Doe, I'm Walter Storholt. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this week's episode. We'll look forward to talking to you soon, right back here on the Make the Doe Rise podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.